2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. One of the shocking things that uh, I remember about my early adulthood was hearing the news that a family friend of ours, a a very prominent physician in the East Texas area, had been arrested, and uh, he had been arrested on the charge of human trafficking. We had had fellowship, table fellowship with his family. Uh, We had known them personally, and to hear the news of his arrest, uh, which made National Headlines was a, a shock. It was never a, um, it's never a good thing when uh, someone is arrested. There's always sort of disgrace. There's public shame involved. Uh, there's a kind of dishonor. And in this case, the uh, people would want to begin distancing themselves from uh, this person whom they had known. The reason I share that story is because tonight we're looking at a letter letter written from Paul, and here here he is in prison. It's his second Roman imprisonment. He's been arrested before. This is his second time to be arrested, uh, or at least his second time. There's a certain disgrace or dishonor that has been associated with his name amongst, uh, amongst some And this is his last will and testament that he writes to Timothy. Timothy, as you recall, uh, as Pastor Johnson told us last week, was a convert from Lystra. He was now pastoring in the city of Ephesus. These are uh, words given to Paul, I mean, given to Timothy from Paul that are wartime instructions. Uh, It's as if Paul is, is inviting Timothy into the battle of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his first thing that he tells him after he, he goes through the, uh, the greetings is not to be ashamed. He says in verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor uh, of me, 
uh, his prisoner. Now, that word testimony has the connotation of written uh, evidence, maybe historical evidence. So uh, Timothy is not to be ashamed of the truth. It's one thing to be arrested and disgraced and dishonored for something for which you are guilty of. It's quite another thing to be arrested, disgraced, dishonored uh, for speaking the truth. And Timothy is to know that if he is to be a minister of the gospel, he is to follow uh, the way of the cross. It's not the way of glory, of self-promotion, but rather the way of being potentially dishonored and disgraced for following Jesus. I think it's important for us to realize that in many places in the world today and throughout history, there was a cost. There was a cost to speaking the truth about Jesus, and there was a cost to following the Lord. I get to go home and sleep in a nice house, and I get paid a salary, and uh, I get to, on Sunday morning, come before you and preach what I believe to be the truth and not do so in fear of being arrested. But it's not the case for many people. I do remember also a number of years ago reading in a very liberal uh, newspaper an article about Wang Yi, who is a reformed pastor, a pastor in our own tradition, who was arrested in China along with a hundred of his congregants. And I also remember thinking, not only is this a is this a, Amazing to hear this story, but to hear the story in the New York Times. Because uh, when you're arrested, usually it's bad publicity. But I do think that it's interesting that even the New York Times had a certain amount of respect for a pastor in a foreign country who was willing to speak the truth at the cost of his own imprisonment. And so... While, it may, while there might be disgrace and dishonor at, the, at, at first, in this life or in the next life, there will be vindication. But why would, um, why would Timothy be told not to be ashamed? Uh, why would he be told that he needs to follow the way of the cross? And I would like to uh, quote from Kent Hughes, who is a commentator, a longtime pastor, He said that there were some in the Ephesian church, for example, Hymenaeus in chapter 2, verse 17, we'll get there, who viewed Paul's sufferings and imprisonment as public proof that the Holy Spirit was not with Paul. Paul's enemies within the church believed that the resurrection had already taken place, uh, a spiritual resurrection, and that those who had experienced it had been so endowed with the Spirit that their difficulties evaporated. Their theology was similar to today's health and wealth preachers. To them, Paul's sufferings and imprisonment in Rome were due to his shamefully unspiritual nature and the disapproval of the Holy Spirit. There were some in, within Ephesus who questioned Paul's uh, authority as an apostle, questioned whether he had been truly uh, endowed by the Holy Spirit, And here, 
Paul actually says that uh, he has been appointed as a preacher, as an apostle, as a teacher. In verse 11, which is why I suffer as I do. And it's as, it's as if he's taking off his wartime regalia, the, the helmet of salvation and the, and the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, and he's handing it to Timothy and he's saying, look, Timothy, you're to join me in the battle. He doesn't say not only to be ashamed, but there are three other things he says. Uh, one, in verse 13, he says to follow the pattern of sound words that have been heard from me. To follow the pattern of sound words in verse 13. I'm skipping around, but also in verse 8, he says to share in the suffering. Share in suffering for the gospel. But he also says to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. He says it in verse 12. um, And he also says it in verse 14. Now, there's a debate between, I'm thinking particularly between um, Gordon Clark and William Hendrickson about what does it mean, the deposit? What does he mean, the good deposit? What What is he referring to? I'm of the opinion that the good deposit is the gospel. Uh, Marvin Vincent, and there are others who've, who've written about this, but I think uh, the gospel is what he's referring to in the good deposit. Saul, before he was Paul, uh, met the resurrected Lord Jesus, and his world was flipped upside down, and he learned that uh, there was no way that he could approach God on his own, in his own righteousness, and he learned that the resurrected, the resurrected Lord Jesus was the true Messiah, who he had been persecuting. And so he, he learned about this Messiah. He studied the scriptures, and he promoted the gospel at his own expense, and now he's entrusting it. It had been entrusted to him by the Lord Jesus. He's entrusting it to Timothy. But it comes at a cost. Now, I do think that while this is historically, uh, the context is, it is written to a particular person, Timothy. I also think it's important for you. Uh, you are to share in suffering. Uh, you are to follow the sound pattern of words that are given to us in Scripture. Not just a little bit of the gospel, but all of Scripture. You are to guard the deposit. It's very tempting, for particularly for preachers, to only preach that which won't offend people, or to only preach part of the truth, and to minimize the things that will cause an offense or put you in danger, or dis- potentially in-, in disgrace. It's always a temptation to let our guard down. But if there's one thing for you to, uh, to take away, I think it would be the phrase that, you, that Paul says, I know whom I have believed. I think that if you are going to do these things, which Paul is telling Timothy to do, and if you're to share in suffering, if you're to follow the pattern of sound words, if you are to guard the deposit that's been given to, to you, you have to know the Lord. You have to know whom you have believed. So the question is, do you know? Do you know whom you've believed? 
do you know about the Lord? And there's a lot of easy ways to kind of get distracted. There's, there's a lot of easy ways to forget to follow the, or to even learn the pattern of sound words that are given to us in Scripture. Some of the temptations, perhaps, are to spend a lot of time doing other things. They might be fun things, maybe spending too much time watching television or playing on the Internet or video games. I know a temptation for many young folk. I just said the word folk. I didn't really mean to use the word folk. It's kind of a weird word. But isn't it, wouldn't it be easier, I know it was, I had this temptation, is wouldn't it be easier to forget some of the requirements that the Bible lays out about, about marriage, particularly if your life doesn't work out the way you want? Wouldn't it be easier to forget the requirements to marry only in the Lord, uh, to look for someone who knows the Lord. It's a temptation to forget the requirements that the Lord has laid out. It's a temptation to do what's easy, to live however you want, isn't it? Isn't that a temptation? Of course it is. So how do you... How do you overcome those temptations? I think in verse 9, we, we get a, uh, the power, really. Uh, and the power comes through knowing the Lord, through knowing the gospel. In verse 9, Paul says that God saved us. God saved us, not ourselves. And called us to a holy calling. And not because of our own works but because of his own purpose and grace. Now, that's, that's a message that we need to hear again and again and again, that God has given us grace. There's a person I'm particularly thinking of in preparation was the person of Peter. If you think about Peter, Peter, if you remember, he said to Jesus, other people may deny you, but I will never deny you. And I will, even if I have to go into death, I will never deny you. But then as soon as Jesus is arrested and things are going south and it's no longer, it's no longer a respectable thing to know Jesus, but actually it could cost you something, he begins to deny Jesus. Not just one time. Three times. Now, I don't think we're particularly any better than Peter. I'm not saying that I would have never denied Jesus if I had been a follower during those days. But I do think that it's important that we recognize the grace that is offered to us in the gospel. Because Peter would go on to to follow the way of the cross and to be persecuted for the Lord. It would have been very easy for him to think, you know what, I denied him. And there's no grace for me. But there is. There's grace for you. There's grace for me. Even if we have stumbled and fallen into sin, even if we have denied Jesus in some aspect of our life, there's always available to us grace through the Lord Jesus Christ if we repent of our sins. 
I do also think it's very interesting that in Jesus' life, it is, <clears throat> it's the people who are desperately needy and who've done things that are wrong, like the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, the ones who really have blown it in some aspect of their life. They're the ones who ask the Lord for mercy and are following Jesus, and Jesus is giving them grace. <laughs> but it's the, the people who think they have it all together and have their, they don't feel like they need any righteousness from Jesus they don't, that don't get it. So, do you know the Lord yourself? Um, can you say that? Do you know who you have believed? And you have to have, it is only through understanding the gospel that you'll be able to have courage. If you remember, Pastor Johnson talked about verse 7, that Timothy was a, a timid person, maybe a shy person, maybe a fearful person. And that's why in verse 7 he says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. But we do know that later Timothy would go on to be imprisoned himself. And I think that the reason that, that he found to be able to bear the cross is through knowing the Lord, uh, that he knew whom he had believed. And I also think in verse 8, verse 14, and verse 10, so at the beginning, the middle of this passage, and the end of this passage, Paul talks about how we are to share in this suffering. It's by the power of God in verse 8. And in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. So we're not doing this out of our own power and our own strength. We're not doing this by following certain rules or rituals, but it's through the ordinary means of, of grace, walking with the Lord day after day. It's not a sprint. It's not a, it's not a hundred-yard dash. It's not something that happens very quickly. But day after day after day, we walk with the Lord, and thus God makes us more willing to bear the cross. I also think that because Paul mentions it in verse 8, verse 10, and verse 14, it's as if he's saying you need the gospel at the beginning of your Christian life, you need it in the middle, and you need it in the end. You have to follow the pattern of sound words. You need to know Scripture at the very beginning of your Christian journey, the middle, and the end. You never graduate from learning Scripture, from applying it in your own life, and praying that the Lord's own purpose and grace would work in your life. One of the people that I often think about is Eric Little. Eric Little was a marathon, not a marathon runner, a short, dist, uh, short sprint, sprinter who qualified uh, for the 1924 Olympic Games. The movie Chariots of Fire is a great movie if you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire. It's about Eric Little. But if you know that movie, uh, you'll know that he didn't run, because, he didn't run in the, 
the qualified, what he, what he qualified for in the Olympics. Why? Because it was on a Sunday, and he wanted to follow the pattern of sound words that were given to him. He, he didn't want to do what was easy. He truly had a conviction based on Scripture that he wasn't to run on the Sabbath. So he didn't. He actually ran the 400 later in the week, and he won. (laughs) But what the movie doesn't show is that he would later go on to be a missionary in China and would be imprisoned and ultimately would die in a Japanese concentration camp in 1945. He knew what it was like to suffer. Of course, having said all of this, we would be incomplete. It would be incomplete not to talk about the Lord Jesus himself in, and preaching on this text, and especially in verse 10 when it says, that uh, it talks about the appearing of the save, our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death, and he brought life and immortality to light. Now, does that mean that we don't die? Well, no, we still will physically die. But if you take a moment to think about what did Jesus do when he, when he appeared? Well, he followed the demands of the law. He followed the sound pattern of words. In fact, he was the only one who really lived up to the demands of the law actively. He's the only one who passively suffered the consequences of the law. He's the only one who not only suffered with us, but for us. He suffered so that we would not have to undergo the eternal punishment for our sins. But even even greater than all of that, even greater than all of that, it would have been very easy, wouldn't it have been, for the Lord to say, you know, here are these people, they are in prison to their own sin, they are, as Ephesians 2, 1 through 4 says, they are dead in their trespasses and sins, here are these people, and I'm ashamed of them. And I'm going to let them wallow in their sins. But that's not what the Lord Jesus did. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. You are the recipient of God's grace because Jesus took the punishment on your behalf. He endured the shame for you. He was willing to undergo shame and dishonor and disgrace for you so that you could be a part of his family, so that you could be called his brother. And it's through knowing the one whom we have believed in, knowing this Christ, that you can then become truly free as a prisoner of the Lord. Isn't that the ironic thing? That here's Paul, he's imprisoned, he's facing his own death, he knows it's only a matter of time, and yet there's a kind of disregard for self in the letter. He's not speaking about his own sufferings, he's not afraid. It's really entrusting Timothy with what he had been entrusted with, with the grace of the gospel. And if you know Christ, then you can also experience that wonderful joy of being faithful to the pattern of sound words. You can experience that same 
uh, grace that would enable you to guard the good deposit that's been given to you. You would be able to not be ashamed in the face of great dishonor for the name of Christ. To not be ashamed. To be willing to share in the suffering. To be willing to be disgraced or dishonored. Rachel and I had a, a friend when we were in seminary who was a nurse at a, a hospital in Philadelphia. And they wanted her to begin to do uh, hormone replacement therapy for young children. And she ended up having to find another job. I don't think that was easy. You know, where, where did she get the power to to stand up for what she believed was right? Well, because she knew who she had believed. She knew the Lord. She knew the pattern of sound words in the gospel. And she was willing to suffer whatever dishonor would come her way. So that's really the, the question in my... The question for you is, are you willing to be dishonored for the Lord? Paul was willing to be dishonored for the Lord. The Lord Jesus was willing to be shamed and dishonored for you. So are you willing to be shamed and dishonored for him? That's the question. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have given us your word that gives us hope, that gives us encouragement. It does give us a a dose of reality that life's not easy. We thank you that we have a glimpse into your great strength and power that's contained in the gospel in this letter to Timothy. We thank you that this great power at work in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead through the Holy Spirit is at work in us. We thank you that through him we can conquer the fears of this life. We can conquer the shame and the disgrace and the dishonor of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I do pray that you would make us willing, that you would make us joyful to participate in the knowledge of you, that we would know whom we have believed and you would make us joyful to embrace whatever kind of challenges come our way for simply being faithful. We pray that we would know you in greater measure. In Jesus' name.